During Owner Appreciation Month, well-qualified returning Grand Cherokee lessees get a low-mileage lease on select 2020 Grand Cherokee Laredo E4x4 models and dealer stock for $219 a month for 42 months with $3,799 to a signing tax title license extra. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires due to contribution lease to Chrysler Capital. On oldest 20% inventory of 2020 Jeep Cherokee Laredo models as of 1-3-2020 and dealer stock. Current lease must end by 2-1-2021. Extra charge for miles over 35000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 2-3-2020. Jeep is a registered trademark. Infirmary Media. Start. People engage in stop for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios. It's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let me introduce this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in a worst month battle. First off, in the 80s corner, dueling with the worst of October 1987. What is up? This is Brent Hand of Hysteria 51 Podcast, and I'm excited and a little little leery. It's my first it's my first worst of, so we'll see how we do. I found this harder for some reason. Uh, but I'm ready. I'm coming off a lo- a loss, so I better be ready. <laughs> <laughs> and his opponent, dueling with the absolute worst of October nineteen ninety-nine, is this man. I'm the master debater, coming in hard, sweating and ready to take on the worst of this month. Hey, this is Jay Sandlin, and you can find me on Twitter at jsandlin underscore WHN. Uh, read up on all of my podcast at jsandlin.com. What Happens Next Versus, where we've just introduced a brand new card game feature for our uh, versus matchup battles with over 60 original card plays, uh, which we may soon have available for you. And hey, speaking of available, here's a cheap plug. My first comic book series from Mad Cave Studios, Over the Ropes, story of 90s Southern wrestling, is coming to you guys in December. So whether you like wrestling, comics, or both, uh, be sure to check it out at your local comic shop or madcavestudios.com. Nice. Can't wait to read that. I, I can't wait for you to read it either. You're actually exactly the uh, the market for this kind of book. It's not often somebody says, I'm the target market for something. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> business plan, yes. And as always here on our program, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So for this Battle of the Bad, I, Mark James, will serve as your judge, jury, and most excellent executioner. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products and or sports. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, 
Get ready to get grody to the max as we play more. Woo-woo. All right, guys. I have to flip tonight an actual quarter. Uh-oh. Uh, let's see. Jay Sandlin, why don't you call it in the air? Give me some tail. Ooh, and it is tails. Hey, just call me Sonic. I got tails with me. <laughs> so Jay has control of the board. Don't know if that's going to work out in your favor. So Jay, what category do you want to start off this worst of duel with? How about news? News. All right. Let's see what you got for your first news offering. I was really glad this was a happy coincidence. Um, I audited a class at Harvard a few years ago about um, religious literacy, and it referred to this event, and I got to discuss it with um, my my professor online. There was a controversial art exhibit that opened in Brooklyn on October 2nd of 1999. And hundreds of people came out to protest the British exhibit called Sensation. Now, this was a portrait of the Virgin Mary. Is that sin as an S-I-N-sation? Afraid <laughs> <laughs> not. Afraid not. Oh, okay. But it was called <laughs> Sinful because it featured dissected animals and the portrait was smeared with elephant dung. Ooh. Now... I'll give you the, a little more background, but what do you think happened in October of 1999? Who came out swinging against free speech? It was Mayor fucking Giuliani sparking a first <laughs> <laughs> sparks his First Amendment debate because he vows to cut. I vow to cut the city funding to the museum. Um, showing that he totally missed the point because the artist was not using uh, – he was not smearing elephant dung on the Virgin Mary as an insult. Dung in his culture is a symbol of fertility. So mother of God, obviously the ultimate, you know, fertility, virgin birth, it was, you know, not meant as uh, an insult. But went right over his head and he just saw a, a political opportunity to grab – and then later he supported the ultimate grabber. No one's ever heard. <laughs> luckily, no one's ever heard of Giuliani. And he, we we know, do not know what happened to Giuliani. So, yeah, wonder know. wonder what happened to him. Wonder what Something happened to about him. elephant dung. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then my second news is Philip Morris in October of '99, the largest smoking company. In the world, after decades and decades of disputing the findings of the United States Surgeon General and literally every other medical authority, decides to admit on the rarely visited dial-up internet that, yeah, maybe smoking is harmful, guys. They acknowledge the scientific <laughs> evidence. Maybe. Yes, for the first time. The, the Don Draper days are over. They acknowledge the evidence that shows smoking can, hey, it can cause lung cancer and other deadly diseases. And they were, you know, the nation's largest cigarette maker. They uh, agreed with the scientific prevailing opinion on what was described in the article, a new internet site, you know, these newfangled internet sites. And as part of a $100 million corporate image campaign, they unequivocally state that they are going to work to educate people about the very facts they've been denying for the better part of the 20th century in the last year of the 20th century. So those are my flops for October 
1999. Whew, what a way to start off a round, man. Yeah, they were pretty strong. Those are pretty bad. I mean, how are you going to beat, you know, throwing poop on the Virgin Mary? <laughs> well, I... I'll take a swing with uh, October 19th of 1987, Black Monday, the literal worst day in Wall Street history. The stock market on that day, uh, it collapsed. The Dow plunged 22.6%, the biggest one-day percentage loss ever, bigger than the 1929 stock market crash that spiraled into the great depression and a dow a drop like that they say would be more than five thousand points on the current dow in one day and uh yeah that's the worst of all time still reigning champion so that's fun and then uh number two this one i think everyone uh if you're of an age remember october 14th 1987 an 18-month-old baby Jessica fell down a well in her aunt's backyard. Uh, that's right. She fell down an 8-inch in diameter shaft, and she was stuck down 22 feet underground. And it took 58 hours uh, for people to to dig to her. And it actually was this huge TV sensation. People were glued to the TV watching what was going on. There was T-shirts that were... Some were in good taste and some were in poor taste. Uh, I actually was looking through some of the vintage shirts and people were selling at that time T-shirts that said, Baby Jessica, well-educated by 18 months. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, man. They actually drilled a larger hole next to it while they actually pumped oxygen in to keep her alive, dug down below her and got her out. And then people like sang to her and things like that. And. On the 16th of October, 87, she was rescued and lived a normal life, and now she's married with kids of her own. But yeah, it was baby Jessica in the well. Wow, huge news story. She was a meme before there were memes. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Great job, Jay. You really just gave this round to Brent. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I mean, Cultural relevancy. You just said it's a meme before a meme. I would say I was highly cultural, culturally relevant, especially in hindsight. Brent basically just gave you the plot to every episode of Lassie is one of his points. <laughs> what? Baby Jessica's stuck in the well? Go get her, boy. Well, start pumping the oxygen while we'll go make the t-shirts. <laughs> ruff, ruff, ruff. All right. But let's take a look at these. You know, Jay, you had October 99, the worst of. Um, and I had to double check, actually. I wasn't sure if you had October of 99 because... I really thought the whole cigarette thing came out before then. I thought you were talking 1979, maybe, but no, October of 99. Wow. That seems like it was like three years ago. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad how long we hold on to admitting the obvious sometimes. And uh, the elephant dung on the Virgin Mary. That's absolutely horrible, Uh, as is the cigarettes thing. So, yeah, for a worse month, solid offerings. Uh, Brent. Worst of October of 87, you come with Black Monday and Baby Jessica, both huge news stories from October of 87. Now, when we match them up, Baby Jessica versus the Virgin Mary, whew, that's, that's a close one right there. So we're going to kind of cancel those out because you got Virgin Mary, Baby Jessica. So we're going to go with Black Monday versus the cigarettes. And come on, this one, in my opinion, is kind of going to get sneaked out by Black Monday. I'm sorry, Jay, but you actually did give it to Brent on that one with the baby Jessica comment because (laughs) that kind of pushed it over the edge because I think Black Monday 
had more of a long-term effect on this country than something we already knew. You're saying Black Monday trumps the black lung. <laughs> there you go. I got the black lung part. Because <laughs> <laughs> we kind of already knew that cigarette smoking was bad for you. Like you said, the Don Draper days were over. And how did that show end? His wife got cancer and she died. Well, we that, and, and that's this. the flop of the story is that it's so ridiculous how long it just took them to come out and say it. Yeah, I know. It, exactly. It blows my mind. But hey, the almighty dollar. So uh, that's one point. We're going to give this first round to Brent. You get control of the board, man. Where do you want to go for round two? All right. All right. Let's go to music. All right. So I've got for the, my first offering, October 19th, Motley Crue releases the song you're all i need is a single hell yeah man it's, it's crew it's one of their big singles coming out mtv actually refuses to play its video because it's level of violence well what happens in it the video and it's all shot in black and white depicts a man killing a woman with a knife they don't actually show that off screen but then he takes pictures of her off the wall it's everything's covered in blood he's throwing everything in the fireplace and burning it after the murder the guy breaks down destroys everything paramedics come in and put the moment woman in a body bag she's hauled away in front of onlookers and it should have been a huge success but v or vh1 sorry mtv decide they're not gonna they're not gonna play it and here's the singles in order before that earlier in 87 wild side came out huge song the next single 87 in october is you're all i need no one knows it because it didn't get played a lot of radio stations picked up on that too and they wouldn't play it and then in 89 the next single was dr feelgood huge single it just killed them on that one so that was kind of uh for motley crew and for mtv and this was if you remember right this was in inside of the whole tipper gore PMCA or whatever it was called, the music when they were trying to put <laughs> labels on music, if if it was explicit or not. And for a while before they got just explicit, they were trying to name it R-rated, PG, PG-13. And that fell into this whole thing. And they, they blame a lot of that and a lot of the, the, the lack of success uh, on Tipper Gore. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so, the, the PMRC. PMRC. If I would have written it down, I might have been Parents smarter. Music but there you Resource go. Resource Council. And then number two, this was just terrible to me. <laughs> In bullshit music news, October 10th, 1987, Mars song, Pump Up the Volume, if you guys remember that one, Pump Up the Volume, Pump Up the Volume, Dance, Dance, that one, takes the number one spot off the Billboard charts over the greatest song ever written and performed. This is a travesty which I think will go down in history as one of the stupidest and worst things. Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Lost its spot to Mars. Pump up the volume. Or, pu yeah, pump up the volume. <laughs> All right. Solid offerings from Brent uh, to start off the music category for the worst month of October of 87. Jay Sandlin, you're up next with October of 99. What do you got, man? All right. Well, first, I've got the story of Blue Dobby D by Eiffel 65. <laughs> So this is a song that totally flopped when it came out. It uh, ended up selling around 200 records. Wow. That's like, you know, less than the number of people in my graduating class. And you know what it happened? Eiffel 65 shrugged it off as a, as a loss and they forgot about it. But there was a strange turn of events that the track got picked up by a small local station 
in Italy. And then it got airplay on one of the biggest radio stations in Italy. And within days, it steamrolled into becoming one of the like bigger hits in Italy, taking this electronic music group touring around there as the song shot up the charts. But it was kind of like what I call the Hasselhoff effect, where music is only appreciated in one country and nobody else gets it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So Eiffel 65 and their blue Dobby D uh, with the the Hasselhoff effect in Italy, but only flop, you know, selling 200 records in markets, you know, elsewhere. I remember everyone thought there was Uh-oh. I'm blue if I O D I will die or something like that. Yeah. 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 Nobody yeah. knew the words for it forever. Yeah. The next one is one that's, you know, burning down the house by Tom Jones. Tom Jones, um, <laughs> uh, actually, this was a song by a uh, song by the new wave band Talking Heads. Burning down the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So it it actually became, you know, not a bad single when it was released. But the thing about it is that over the years, the um, the cover version of the song is the one that I'm talking about by the the Tom Jones and the Cardigans. Okay. Very familiar with it. Well, you're so we we mentioned in the previous point how Tipper Gore tried to reach for the mute button, you know, with Motley Crue and others, which to be honest, if Tipper Gore is trying to silence your music, I'd call that a great sign of success, not a flop. <laughs> <laughs> but this song has been banned by Clear Channel's list uh, of, you know, refusing to play it, uh, listing it as inappropriate for most of its stations to play. And Clear Channel owns most radio stations. So that's got to be the biggest flop by default if Clear Channel is going to put you on their list. I mean, that's like some McCarthyism bullshit. Yeah, Clear Channel also happens to be the renamed parent company that owns iHeartMedia, a.k.a. iHeartRadio, which we are on right now. Hopefully you're listening to Dueling Decades on iHeartRadio. So, I I mean, come on. That's a little bit bigger than being (laughs) on uh, Tipper Gore's bad list, wouldn't you say? Well, <laughs> Tom Jones, man, you can't handle the sexiness that is Tom Jones. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just start off this round. Wow. You guys brought it for the music round. You're all I need from Motley Crue from 87. Again, Brent, you are absolutely right. It's a Motley Crue song. I really don't know. Yeah. I had no clue what you were talking about. But as soon as you explained it with the other singles that came out before it and after it, the time frame popped in my mind. I know right what you're talking about. Have no clue what the song is. So, yeah, it's one of the rare cases where a video actually destroyed the single rather than building it up. What's funny is I was reading online and they said Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi actually came out and was like, this is an amazing song. And and they were just like, (laughs) fuck you, John Bon Jovi. Don't have our back. (laughs) And your other selection you come up with is uh, Mars. Pump up the volume. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, personally, I really dig that tune. If you grew up playing basketball in the late 80s, early 90s, that was your warm-up song. Every high school basketball (laughs) game ever. Absolutely. And I love it for that fact alone. So, uh, Jay, let's take a look at yours. October of 99, uh, you had Blue by Eiffel 65 and uh, Tom Jones and the Cardigans covering the Talking Heads. I remember when that album came out. I was a DJ in college at the time. I was playing that cut, 
because I thought it was friggin' hilarious. I'm a huge Tom Jones fan and an even bigger Talking Heads fan. Because how can you not like Tom Jones and the Talking Heads? You put them together, it's an absolute fucking mess. It's not unusual. It is not. <laughs> that whole album, I just recommend going up and going online, listening to it. Lots of absolutely crazy covers. He covers Prince. It's nuts. Go out and check out that Tom Jones album. But hey, that's a good cut. That's a song that I actually kind of like. So you bring that one. Brent, you had a song I kind of like too. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'm going to have to go with October of 99 on this one. Because I do like Mars Pump Up the Volume, but this is a worse battle. I can't stand Blue by Eiffel 65. It drives me nuts. And as trivial and fun as that Tom Jones song is, they just absolutely destroyed one of my favorite bands, The Talking Heads. So October of 99, you hit rock bottom with this round for music. Where do you want to go next, Jay? Well, let's, let's watch some TV. All right. TV, TV. I've got some odd ones here. I'm going to start. Let's let's take it back. We all remember ABC in the 90s. What did we watch every Friday night? TGIF. Well, guess what? October 1999 is probably the month that killed TGIF. And what did it was an American sitcom that aired only 13 episodes total, and it was called Odd Man Out. Now, it uh, it first aired just uh, the week before, September 24th, uh, the pilots. But then in October, it aired five episodes in October. All of them named, most all of them named after movies. They, they named two of them Goodwill Hunting. And then on October 29th, they aired Batman Forever. I know there's a lot of reasons that TGIF failed, but this was supposed to be the linchpin. This was supposed to be what was going to turn them around. Um, the show was heavily promoted in the summer of 99, primarily as like a Hail Mary to save TGIF. Um, it had been bought by Disney, and it, back then that just didn't work. Being bought by Disney was was not saving TGIF. <laughs> Wasn't a good thing like it is now. It, yeah, it's not like they were Marvel. So ABC uh, ran commercials, you know, really trying to promote this show with the boy band craze that was common at the time. Uh, but the commercials mentioned very little about the show itself. They did not even mention the name until a few weeks before the show was set to debut. So it was that the advertisements they showed were just girls screaming EVD and then asking, what is EVD? Because not everybody heard the girls shout the E, they thought they were shouting VD. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, th this, this show was uh, in October when it aired those five episodes. That was when uh, viewership really dropped and just never recovered. Now, I, I know I handed Brent a cool line earlier with a meme before it was a meme. I'm going to uh, call my second TV spot from October 99, the GIF before GIFs. And that was the uh, infamous episode of Hollywood Squares uh, that everybody just knows as the You Fool episode. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tom Bergeron, Bergeron, whatever. Uh, pre-America's Funniest Home Video Days, having a really thick head of hair, uh, was hosting the show, and Gilbert Godfrey was a guest, and he just got into this habit of just shouting, You fool! You fool! 
at, at the contestants, <laughs> whether whether they agreed with him or disagreed with him, because you, the way it would work is they would ask the, the you know the D list celebrity they had on the show, they would ask him a question, and then the contestant would have to agree or disagree. And Godfrey just shouted, "You fool!" at them, whether they agreed or disagreed. And the, <laughs> right. the people, the people were eating it up. It, and it was, it even became um, a notable event on the Wikipedia page in October of '99. So, if there had been gifts back then, that would have been the gift going for probably four years constantly after that. That's why you'd call, and, and that's really sad because it just wasn't even that funny when you get down to it. Yeah. Everyone just kept cracking up that he kept just yelling, you fool. But at the same time, it kind of put the competitors on edge. So <laughs> it it made the game a little more interesting. And I, I, I remember that. I thought it was great. So, all right. Over to you, Brent, with the worst of TV from 1987. All right. So my, my, my first worst mistake from 87 uh, on October 11th, Women in Prison, it debuts on Fox. It's actually a comedy show. Uh, the women of Cell Block J of the Bass Women's Prison in Wisconsin. And it, it was a comedy show that focused on the interaction among the prison inmates. It was like a a funny, uh, well, it was based off of the, the people that made Married with Children made this show. It w- was hilarious. It got great reviews. It's considered to have a, a fantastic cast and was funny. And it only lasted for 13 episodes, was killed before it found its audience and its groove. And people look back at it now and say it was like huge, huge oversight by by Fox because it probably would have became a monster hit, especially because it was uh, not only for, you know, starred women, but it was a women's movement thing and empowered them, even though they were in prison, they were doing things that were ahead of their time, which Fox at that time was kind of blazing new trails with everything they were doing. Fantastic show, fantastic reviews, decent numbers as far as people are watching it, and they they canned it anyway. Huge mistake. And then number two, just because I hate this guy, October 18th, 1987. An actor's born, and he just destroyed the future of, of TV for me. Zach Efron who went on to be in Summerland and High School Musical and every flop-haired movie from the early 2000s. Uh, That was when he was born, and he went on to be in all these made-for-TV movies and especially uh, High School Musical, which was just god-awful. That is the the month and the day he was born, October 18th. I think Zac Efron's actually really cool. I mean, are you gonna? We can't judge him by High School Musical for the rest of his life. He's done a lot of great work since then. Uh, I, yeah, I can judge him for the rest of his life. I don't know if he's done a lot of great work since then, but he's done a lot of work. He was in Baywatch the remake. <laughs> I loved him in The Greatest Showman. Um, I think that he would actually be a good choice to play Nightwing in a DC movie. You know what? I kind of agree with you on that. I kind of do. I, I think he kind of fit that mold. Trying so. to trying to weasel me out of there. Listen to him. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's recap this television round, starting off with 99 here. Jay, you had Odd Man Out, how that kind of killed TGIF by a bunch of girls just screaming VD. So that's pretty bad. And then you come with your second story with Gilbert Godfrey just screaming, you fool, in the voice of a little girl at the TV. So it's almost the same story. So I kind of dig where you're going with that. That's a terrifying little girl. That is, that terif- is really terrifying. <laughs> that would have killed TGIF. Maybe they should have put that on TGIF. So, and then October of 87, Brent, you have uh, women in prison. 
It was a fairly decent show, but it only lasted one season. And I think sometimes that happens because things are a little more before its time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It wouldn't be like almost 10 years later until we got Orange is the New Black. That's when women in prison got their groove back. <laughs> Cell block Stella. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come with Zac Efron being born. As a worse thing. So technically, you're trying to sell me that a baby being born is a horrible event. I mean, let, let's look at Austria in the late 1800s. Adolf Hitler. That baby. <laughs> come on now. And I, I don't know anyone that can't have Adolf Hitler and Zac Efron in the same breath. <laughs> wow. Wow. Zac Efron and Hitler. Meanwhile, Zac Efron right now is probably like helping, helping an orphanage and crap like that. <laughs> I'm crapping on him. <laughs> All right, well, you know, this round is actually kind of close, but I have to pick the worst of the worst. So you know what? I'm going to have to give it to Jay Sandlin on this one with October of 99 because you're right, odd man out, horrible show, unlike women in prison, got great reviews, did not kill the lineup. Uh, And Gilbert Godfrey screaming, you fool. Come on, Gilbert, you're better than that. So Jay, you win this round. That's going to bring the score to two to one. You have the lead heading into the first two-point round. At Encova Insurance, we encircle you with insurance solutions you can trust. We provide coverage to protect what you care about. Business insurance, including workers' compensation, auto, home, and life insurance. What makes us unique? Our superior financial strength, smart technology, a one-stop shop for custom-tailored solutions. Encova 360, our approach to workers' compensation and local decision-making. We are Encova Insurance. Visit Encova.com for more information. The first two-point round. Who boy, who boy. Let's do our uh, our odd one. That's uh, It's going to be sports versus products. You did uh, sports, right? I've got, I've got the sports, yes. And I've got some flops for you here. Um, All right. You'll have to make a comparison to products however you want. But I will say that they will not be quite as legendary as what I've got here because I've got two legendary names with some legendary flops in October of 1999. Now, first one's kind of a serious flop. It's really sad. Uh, Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain, so ahead of his time in the NBA where he played from 1959 through 1973, uh, passed away on October the 12th of 1999. And he was uh, 63 years old. Uh, He was best known for scoring 100 points in a single game, uh, was the NBA's career leader in rebounds with 23,924, and second in career points with 31,419. Passed away way too soon at age 63. He got 100 points in a game, but in life he got stuck on 99. How much of a bummer is that, man? Uh, Apparently. (laughs) Well, I'll give you a bigger bummer. And this, uh, you know, the last time I was on the show, we talked about this man. So I had to bring him back, but it was the perfect one to bring him back on. Mr. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson fought Orlin Norris, the name you probably have never heard because this boxing match on October 23rd, 1999 was the biggest flop, probably the biggest flop in Tyson's career. We all know that Tyson had had his legal and personal issues in the 90s. Uh, He was in and out of, you know, prison for various incidents. And through uh, several heavyweight champion contenders, 
He finally was announced to face the former WBA cruiserweight champion Orlin Norris for this October 23rd, 1999 bout. They had first talked about Norris as a possible opponent 10 years prior. So, you know, both men are considered pretty well past their primes at this point, but they go into the fight and it would last only one round. Tyson came out aggressively, kept Norris on the defensive, throws, you know, some power punches, but he just looks slow. You know, everybody was wanting to see the Tyson of, you know, 15 to 10 years before. And then the flop happened just after the bell sounded for the first round. Tyson landed a left hand, dropped Norris on the mat. Referee Rich Richard Steele deducted two points from Tyson on the judge's official cards for hitting after the bell. And both men retreated to their corners, but Norris did not come back. He remained seated on his stool in his corner and told the doctor that he had injured his knee and, you know, just couldn't continue with the fight. So the fight was stopped and ruled a no contest. And Tyson was so pissed off, he had to be restrained from his corner by, I guess, trying to take a bite out of Norris uh, <laughs> before... <laughs> Uh, because of his illegal punch, uh, his $8.7 million purse was withheld by the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, for them to review whether or not the hit was intentional. But they ended up giving him the money a week after the fight. So just a huge disappointment Jeez. for everybody involved and hurt the image of boxing uh, again after the Holyfield debacle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just another series of letdowns from Tyson. I mean, he had some great matches and some moments of brilliance, and then there was like two or three or maybe a handful of matches that were just hype and letdown. And I would argue that this one was the biggest letdown. I mean, you know, you can say that his Holyfield second bout is more famous, but at least that one was interesting. This was just a flop from one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. All right, Brent Hand, over to you. So I'm on hot products. Uh, number one, very different, very different. Well, one's very different. One's kind of right on the nose, so we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> number I'm one, scared. my first hot product that flopped in 87 October, uh, a, a system that I don't know if you'll remember or not, the Action Max. It's a home video game console using VHS tapes and a light gun. Uh, it ramped up to be the, the go-to gift for uh, that Christmas of 87, and they spent all their money being the game system in a movie because they thought it was going to be a huge, a huge um, boom for them. A movie that came out earlier in the year, the game system wasn't even out, so they put all their money in being in a movie called Leonard Part 6 with oh, Bill Cosby. No. And if you remember the crazy like voodoo uh, gypsy yeah. lady, her kids were playing it. Uh, spoiler, uh, both the movie and this was terrible. The, the Action Max system uses a VHS tape that it doesn't play. You literally have to have a VCR that it hooks to, and they didn't make that well-known, so people bought it, and at that time, a lot of people didn't have VCRs, couldn't use it, and then the games, there was no way to really play them. You just shot the screen, and it ran up the the score, and at the end, you, you hope that you got more points than the last one. Uh... And it was also limited by the fact the only genre is light gun games, too. Like, there's only so much you can do. And it ended up quick decline. And then the company that made it, uh, 
I believe it was Worlds of Wonder ended up going out of business within the next couple of years because of this and a few other horrible flops. And anytime you put all your money into Leonard Part 6, you're probably going to go down <laughs> pretty bad. Uh, do you remember that movie? Oh, it was horrible. Oh, it was bad. Melted yeah. butter. Melted butter. And yes. nobody got the joke that there was no Leonard Part 1 through yeah. 5. It was like the first time he was like, they they were, it was the CIA, uh, what did it say, like the CIA deem them um you know top secret or something like that right yeah, yeah. and and it's... that was lost on most people yeah <laughs> yeah it was really horrible and what's funny is it it came out in leonard part six and the console wasn't out yet the console didn't launch until october so when the hype for the console was there from this movie they couldn't even go buy it and this is a time when people there's not the internet to keep it going people just forgot about it and it went out next one also, and this one is really interesting. I didn't know this story until I looked up. Mike Tyson in and of itself, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! The game is launched in October of 87. And I didn't realize that it was, it was actually kind of bad for Nintendo. It was released in Japan as Punch-Out! originally without Tyson. It was in a gold cart. There was the arcade version of Punch-Out! that he was not in as well. Punch Out, they released when they were going to release in North America, they paid ungodly amount of money for his likeness. And they paid until 1990 for him to be in it. And by that time, rape charges and everything were flying against him. So they couldn't or refused to renew it. They had paid so much money and then couldn't have him in there that it ended up costing them money. They had to stop using his likeness, even on virtual consoles now. So if you buy it on one of the virtual consoles or like Animal Crossing where you can play other games, it's the it's just punch out. And he's called, uh, I think it's called Mr. Dream. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, Mike Tyson's Punch Out and Super Mario Brothers were the cause of the Nintendo neck also that year. This is what they started talking about it. That year uh acute non-traumatic torticolosis that's a mouthful because they said kids would lay on their necks or on their backs looking up memorizing the patterns for mike tyson's punch out and by 1999 chiropractor cohen told the philadelphia day news that the prolonged strain caused permanent damage in many children because of this one game so Mike Tyson went on a raping spree. They lost money because of him. They re-released it as Punch-Out without him. And it never really did that great, but it's still a fantastic game. So why do you have to lay upside down on your back? No, like to... when you lay on your stomach and your head up, looking up, craning up, it uh, hurts your neck. Uh, so like you're on your belly with your hands towards the TV looking up. And that actually, call they call that Nintendo neck. I didn't even know that was a thing. Why can't you play Punch-Out sitting in a chair? I, for whatever reason, and this is what they said, <laughs> Punch-Out and Super Mario Brothers were the number one cause of Nintendo Neck. This was from an a, a article that I found. Nintendo Neck. Jesus. Nintendo Neck. And it's actually called Acute Non-Traumatic Torticolosis. T-O-R-T-I-C-O-L-L-O. No, it's a serious thing. I once had a girlfriend who had Nintendo neck, but for a totally different reason. <laughs> oh. It, it is, it's so funny because you think of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out as this awesome game. And it was. It was. And it was just for them a huge clusterfuck of PR and money and everything. But that's what happens when you... And why they couldn't back out is before he'd ever won the title, 
they had already put money on him because they knew he was going to win the title. And then he wins the title and then his his trainer dies and he goes ape shit and starts doing cocaine before matches. And they're like, um, maybe we don't want his name on this. On top of that, um, Nintendo or, or was it Sega? I think Sega, the, when Buster Douglas beat Tyson, they made a game with Buster Douglas. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. then Buster Douglas lost his very first title defense. So that's right. because Sega does what Nintendo don't. That was the that was the whole campaign. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a really great point, Jay. And I'm going to start off my deliberation about this round thinking about that because, you know, you're kind of right. Sega did make a game when that happened. The Buster Douglas game was not very good. Whereas the Punch-Out game was fucking fantastic. Classic. With or without Mike Tyson. When I picked up the game and started playing it, it was actually after they had taken Tyson out. I never played it with Tyson in. Uh, and then I went back later and played it. Really not that big of a difference. I had Punch-Out without him. It's the same game. They just put him over yeah, the sprite. Yeah, there's no difference. Uh, and then you also had the, uh, the Action Max system. I went online. I watched some footage of this. Wow. This thing was a piece of shit just about as bad as Leonard part six. <laughs> so yeah, it's basically like, it reminds me of if you see like early eighties, late seventies arcades where it was like a projection video screen, like what you'd see now with golf, but you have like a light rifle, like you'd see at a carnival. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. It, it's almost like they were trying to, to grasp onto like, you know, the laser disc games where you could you know, yes. skip chapters, but they're using a VCR. So you can't skip chapters. Right. And there were games out that, that actually worked kind of not games, but I don't know if you remember captain power, where you would get the the ships and you'd shoot at the screen and it would it would tally up. That's the same difference. You didn't need a VCR for that. You just bought the planes that you could actually play with outside of watching the TV. Also, so right, you know, dumb. All right, Jay Sandlin, you had uh, the worst of October of '99 for sports, and you had, you started off with Wilt Chamberlain dying. That's a huge story right there. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain legend one of the greatest nba players of all time one of the best big men of all time like you said scored 100 points in a game his legacy changed the game of basketball and how the center position would go on to be played and uh mike tyson finding norris and uh, a very very disappointing fight i'm gonna say not only for the fans but uh, obviously for Tyson and his camp, because he was uh, a little pissed off after the match, I think. Oh, man, when it comes down to the worst, you know, I hate to do this to you, Brent, but I got to give the round to 99 just because that punch-out game was pretty damn good with or without Mike Tyson. You know, and the Action Max system, as horrible as that was, I actually think Leonard Part 6 might be worse. Uh, but Will Chamberlain dying from 99, that's that's epic. And when you're talking about bad, that's pretty bad. That was a loss of a legend. So, unfortunately, that means Jay Sandlin picks up the yeah. win in this game. It's hard to find losses of legends in hot products. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And that's the hard thing. I can't compare the two rounds, so I have to compare them on their own standalone merits. That's right. So, But we're still going to move on and do the final round. Jay, you have control of the board. Do you want to go first, or would you like to defer? I'll I'll go ahead. We're going to go with movies, right? Yeah, that's the only round remaining. All right. Thanks, smartass. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, you know what? I'll make them pretty quick. So my movies are uh, – I'm glad I cinched the win because I don't know if my movies were bad enough to, to win. 
But uh, October of 1999, Rob Reiner directed The Story of Us, a chick flick universally panned and bombed starring Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer, two really awesome actors, you know, classics. I mean, you got John McClane and Catwoman are going to get together for some, you know, some hot love, and it just turns out to be uh, just underwhelming. It's about two, a married, a boring married couple who decides they don't want to be married anymore, but they stay together for the kids. And what's such an extra flop about it, despite the $50 million budget and not even getting half that back on release, Bruce Willis was divorcing Demi Moore at the time of filming. How depressing do you get in a movie about divorce or, you know, divorcing one of the hottest women on the planet? Uh, Oh, well. Method acting. There you go. (laughs) And then the second one may surprise some people, especially some of the younger listeners. But the second flop of October 1999 is Fight Club. Because Fight Club originally bombed at its first appearance in movie theaters. Uh, Fight Club actually was panned by many, many people. uh, Notably, Rosie O'Donnell, who was (laughs) so personally offended by this movie and, and just so horrified that it was made uh, spoiled the huge twist ending on her show a week before it came out. There's a twist ending to Fight Club? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, yeah, check it out. His, but, yeah. his wife dies of cancer. It's crazy. Yeah, and then they get divorced. Yeah. God, <laughs> after she dies. It's horrible. <laughs> Brad Pitt also tried to convince his parents not to see the movie and could not stop them from seeing the movie. And when they saw the movie, they regretted seeing the movie. So it uh, had a rough release. Uh, Let me see the movie. Um, The underwhelming North American performance of Fight Club soured the entire relationship between 20th Century Fox's studio head, Bill Mechanic, and media executive Rupert Murdoch. And Mechanic ended up resigning in June 2000. So it it even killed a career. Um, Just... Awful time, but it was not until video release and DVD rentals and home video that it really found love as a cult classic. And frankly, it's one of my favorite films today. So you pick one of your favorite films for the worst of. It was it was a flop. And in October of 99, the month that I was assigned, it was a flop. Yeah. And that's kind of how it is with some of those Fincher films, is they take a little while to linger before people really start to catch on to them. I I just can't believe Rosie O'Donnell was so personally offended by it that she had to spoil the movie on her show. I think she's offended by everything. I think it's in her contract, actually. So (laughs) let, let people enjoy things, Rosie. All right, Brent Hand, what do you got for movies, man? So I got two movies that came out in October of 87. The first one, Rolling Vengeance. In rural Canada, six brothers drinking and joyriding in a pickup cause an accident that kills Joey Russo's mother and sister. And as it turns out, the brothers are the sons of an influential entrepreneur uh, played by Ned Beatty. Uh, His name is Tiny Doyle. And they get off scot-free, so when Joey's father is murdered as well, 
The only thing left to do is for Joey to build a massive monster truck and then kill the entire Doyle family. It actually was departed from the original script that was its initial premise uh, premise was a young boy created a special monster truck to eliminate drunk drivers. It had a large budget, and it in fact only made at the I got this written down here thirty nine thousand five hundred and ninety six dollars at the box office. Uh, I was supposed to be uh, rolling on. This is Ned Beatty time. He'd been in tons of movies in the eighties, so he's a big name, and it just killed them. Rolling Vengeance, and I actually just downloaded I haven't watched it yet. I'm excited for it. My next one is an even bigger flop. October 23rd, theatrical re- release of Scared Stiff. Strange visions come to haunt a singer when she, her son, and her psychiatrist-turned-boyfriend move into an old colonial house that is haunted by the ghost of a ruthless slave owner. So that's fun. Uh, this one had a budget of $7.385 million. And its box office take was $16,492. Terrible, terrible. And this one actually is one of those movies that they said what it did, it did right. It had the right kind of jump scares, but didn't know if it wanted to be a horror movie or a slasher movie or a psychological thriller. And it just couldn't come together. And they just were considered the some. These are on everyone's top list of, well, these are the the worst money-making movies of that year and the, the worst movies to come out that year. So I actually downloaded both of them. I'm excited to watch them, and they both are uh, they both are, are horror movies, so it's the perfect month for them. Nice. All right, so Scared Stiff and Rolling Thunder to recap. And Jay Sandland, you had the story of us, the story of sad, depressing divorce, apparently, in Fight Club. Uh, you know, Brent. I'm going to give you the round on this one, and not just because you already lost this game. I actually think you have some worst movies. Uh, Fight Club, it was a bomb. You're right about that, Jay. But we've talked about it on this show several times. There's just so many of those iconic movies that they weren't meant for the theater. They were meant for that home release market. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of like the whole Mike Tyson's punch out. You know, we have these great memories of it, and it's a good, but... But when you break it down, it was a terrible thing for the company or for one reason or another. But movies like that are where we get those, you know, those cult classics, you know, movies that don't get understood. It's kind of like I was reading recently, like Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. People didn't really like it. And now people are going back and going, wow, this is a really good movie. You know, I should have uh, paid more attention to it. That just happens. Uh, And a lot of times in a movie like Fight Club, people probably didn't really understand it when it first came out i think that's the thing you know i don't think people got it you know the the twist ending every not to spoil fight club for anybody who hasn't already seen it i think the 20 years is a good statute of limitations yeah well (laughs) if you didn't read the book maybe yeah it was a confusing movie at the time a little ahead of its time but i think that's where that kind of movement in modern film really started to happen and that came out in 99 i really think that kind of changed the way dramatic cinema was presented in the 2000s because we saw a little more of those cutting edge movies that you know tried to push the envelope but was still a little safe so they could get the PG-13 or R rating. I'll always remember Fight Club because you guys ever have a store Babbage's around you? Do you remember that? Hell yeah. So our Babbage's <laughs> uh, rented rated movies, and I went in whenever it was and rented Fight Club. And we watched it, and I went to take it back, and the store had closed 
literally just closed. It was no longer there. Score. Like within days. Like it was like closed up. And uh, so I still have the the Fight Club. It was a two disc, like the special edition in the, the generic Babbage's take home, you know, rental box. So Nice. Yeah. I was actually waiting for it to like show up as like a on my credit one day like i didn't turn it in but it never happened yeah, so, yeah. you know $7000 in late fees <laughs> yeah like uh you were close i apologize <laughs> all right jay sandlin brent hand thanks for coming on and playing the show again thank you for having me brent man we got to get you a win soon i know it I'm... was just not in the cards for the worst battle so we'll get you back on the show soon next time i'll bribe you it'll work it'll work there we go <laughs> jay congratulations on picking up a win here on dueling decades tell everybody once again about some of your upcoming projects you got i'm just glad to be here thanks for having me uh Check out my website, jsandlin.com, where you can find out all my releases, because um, I've got some more things coming up that I can't talk about yet. But uh, the big one is Over the Ropes, my stories of, of 90s wrestling and a five-issue comic series from Mad Cave Studios. Uh, you can pre-order it on madcavestudios.com or from your friendly local comic shop, and always support your local comic shop. Absolutely. And Brent Hand, what's going on on Hysteria 51, man? Yeah, so we've just started planning next year's uh, tours. We're doing some live shows next year, so you can catch us. Uh, we've got Chicago planned. We have Point Pleasant, West Virginia for the Mothman Festival. We're going to be doing a live show there. We've got a show in, oh man, I'm forgetting. Uh, I got a couple more. Oh, another one. Actually, in December, we're doing a show in Chicagoland. If you guys are going to be around, we're doing a Krampus show. And we got a musical just Majungus. Who doesn't love a band bass that just plays rock songs about aliens? So we got that going on. And uh, every week, you can check the show out anywhere you can get your podcast, Hysteria 51. Or if you forget, just go to Hysteria51.com. Nice. Again, thanks a lot, guys, and thank you, Duelers, for listening along with us. If you've missed a past episode, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on CastBox, really wherever you want. Head on over to Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades, where you can play some of our daily trivia. We also have culmination trivia a couple of times a week, and along with our Dueling Decades episodes, you've probably already noticed here on, our, on your RSS feed, we have our audio trivia. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media. During Owner Appreciation Month, well-qualified returning Grand Cherokee lessees get a low-mileage lease on select 2020 Grand Cherokee Laredo E4x4 models and dealer stock for $219 a month for 42 months with $3,799 to a signing tax title license extra. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires due to contribution, lease of Chrysler Capital. On oldest 20% inventory of 2020 Jeep Cherokee Laredo models as of 1-3-2020 and dealer stock. Current lease must end by 2-1-2021. Extra charge for miles over 35000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 2-3-2020. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.